few weeks ago, I shared with you a little book that I had written when I was in the third grade. You realize that I am an accomplished author. I wrote that whole thing myself. It's amazing. And, you know, it's only 10 or 12 pages, but it's, you know, if we were to put it out on the market, it would be a bestseller, of course, and uh, me as a third grader. Uh, But anyway, one of the things that was in it was what I was afraid of. I don't know if you remember that, but, you know, I am afraid of whatever. And for those of you that weren't here that Sunday, it was basically a book that was in the third grade, a little, you know, a snapshot of who you are. Maybe you wrote something like that as a kid or kept a journal or whatever. But, but anyway, in that, I had to write what I was afraid of. And, and my thing, when in the third grade, at eight years old, I am afraid of the dark. How many of you were afraid of the dark as a kid? Anybody? How many of you still? No, I just, I just, you know, I could get you on that. But, you know, I, I was afraid of the dark as a kid. Now, I, as a parent, I happened to have children right around that age and, and a little older and a little younger. And they, too, have experienced what it's like to be afraid of the dark. Now, what's amazing, as we all know now, there is nothing truly fearful about darkness itself. Darkness cannot really do anything to you. If you think about it, you walk into a dark room, the darkness itself can't attack you. But we fear what we think might be hiding in the darkness. And some of us, even now, I'll just admit to you, I used to have an office right down here, through this little door and, and uh, down to the left. And, and if I were working late at night and had to come into the sanctuary for some reason, um, I, I hesitated just a tad. I didn't know which one of you was hiding in here, you know. To, but, but I would hesitate a little bit. You know, the first thing you do, obviously, when you walk into a dark room is try to figure out how do I get some light in this place. We're scared, it still seems, of things like that, things like the dark. What's interesting is that we, being afraid of those things, are often seeing things that aren't really there. You remember as a kid, and maybe if you're a parent or grandparent of, of, of young children, they see things in the dark that aren't really there. There's a monster in my closet. Oh, something moved. I saw it, you know. And they're seeing things that aren't really there. And, and, then, and then our fears are often based upon not only seeing what's not there, but not seeing what really is there. They don't really see, kids that are afraid of the dark, that what is there is just the closet that was there before. What is there is mom and dad who are going to take care of you. If something were in the closet, we'd come up and help you out. We, we fear things because we, we see things that aren't there, and we, we don't see what really is there. We, we face this threat uh, from what we think is a visible reality. Uh, we have also an inaccurate view, I think, of the invisible reality. That's what I want to talk about this morning. This life that we live between what is visible and what is invisible. And what happens because we live in the middle of this visible reality called life and earth. But we also live in the midst of an invisible reality. Obviously, God in the spiritual realm. I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, if you don't know the Bible very well, please don't let that stop you. There's only one way to learn the Bible, and that's to open it up and figure it out. So go for it. uh, Psalm chapter 3, Psalm, the book of Psalms is kind of right in the middle of the Bible, so if you turn toward the middle, you're pretty close. Psalm chapter 3. We're in a series that we'll finish up next week called Triumph Through the Tears. And I, I really believe that everyone in life can relate to what we're looking at in this series. We have all faced times where we have been brought to tears, essentially, because of what life has thrown at us. 
The book of Psalms is great. If you get to a point in your life, you say, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know what to say to God. I have no words. I don't even want to pray. You get to a point in your life, turn to the Psalms and just read them aloud to the Lord. They're prayers. They're poems. They're songs, but they're also prayers to the Lord that can express things that we don't even know how to say. And it's often through the times where we are hurt the most, where we need the words that come from Scripture to be our prayers, to be on our lips. And so the, the psalms that we've been looking at are called lament psalms. A lament is simply to pour your heart out in usually a negative way, a way of complaint or distress, and that's what we see. Actually, there are several groups of, of psalms, different types, and the lament psalms dominate. There is no group of psalms that that is larger than the lament psalm. So if you wonder, uh, is there a way that I can be honest with the Lord? Absolutely. You're given permission here in the Psalms, and we've looked at that already. And so what I, what I hope that we're learning through this is that life is real, and it does hurt, and yet there is hope, because in each one of the lament psalms, it ends on a note of hope, a note of trust still in the Lord. And we'll look at one this morning uh, that does that. Now, if you look here... In Psalm chapter 3, if your Bible gives you a little heading, a little introductory line, it may say something like this, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Now let me give you a little, just a little background information on the headings of the psalms. They were added later. Okay, They were not written originally with the actual text of the Scripture. That doesn't mean that they're completely unreliable, but it means that there's no guarantee that that's actually what this was about. Now, I will say that even if this is not about King David and his time with Absalom, it could be. It's very possible that this was written when, when David is facing this. Now, if you don't know the story of David and Absalom, you're waiting to get to Psalm 3. You're all ready to read Psalm 3, aren't you? You're going to have to wait just a second. All right, just a second. David, okay, had a daughter named Tamar, who was raped by one of his sons named Amnon. Another one of his sons, Absalom, killed Amnon. And as a result, he gained some notoriety and, and eventually gained some popularity in the kingdom and figured he, Absalom, should be king. He says, come to me, to all the people. And in 2 Samuel records that, that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. So you have this weird relationship going on. You've got this extremely dysfunctional family. You think your family's dysfunctional? Just read the story of David. He's got an extremely dysfunctional family, and, and his son now is rising up against him. Absalom now wants to take the throne from his father. And David eventually has to run away and to flee Jerusalem because his son Absalom is coming, and he says he's going to kill us all. And so this is written either in response directly to that, and it's quite possible that it is, or about a scenario that would be just like that. All right, so I hope you understand what I'm saying. This heading is not necessarily wrong, but there's no guarantee that it's right. But it could be, and it certainly could be about a situation like that. Let's read the psalm. Look in Psalm chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me, many who say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. You obviously see the progression here. Short, short psalm. Eight verses, but do you see the progression? Maybe you've got some, uh, some little things in your Bible, that word selah. You see that? If you've got a Bible, maybe it breaks it down. You, you see the first couple of verses, and then there's a selah right after that. And the next couple of verses, and selah. And then you have the last four, selah. That's just sort of a pause and a break. And, and what, basically what it shows is there's a progression. The first section, you've got this absolutely awful situation. And then the psalmist, maybe even David himself, turns to the Lord. And then at the end, what do you have? Hope. It's interesting how he pairs that together. Don't miss the progression. This is meant for a specific purpose. I want to give you one simple idea today that I want you to remember, to begin to put into practice, to reflect on this psalm, to live out this week. And I'm going to give it to you in two parts. Look on the back of your bulletin. Now, I just want you to know I'm extremely proud of this bulletin today. I, I am, I'm, this may be one, take, take this and just frame it. I mean, I drew those guys myself. Isn't that great? You don't, you don't seem to agree. But anyway, uh, but here's what we'll do. All right, you've got your bulletin. We're going to look at the first part and then the second part. All right, so, so you've got two different things that you'll be looking at. And in each one, you're going to have a little fun today because you're going to get to draw in church today. Some of you have been drawing already, just doodling, just making some pictures and so on. We're going to revert back to childhood today, and we're going to be able to, to not write on all the offering envelopes, okay, like you used to do when you were a kid. We're going to write on the bulletin today, and you have total permission to dress this thing up. So here's the first part. Here's how to have some confidence in troubled times. The first part is this. Because I must live in a visible reality. Now just stop there, all right? You're going to get the next part of it. You're going to have to hang out for just a second. Get the next part in just a minute. Because I must live in a visible reality. Reality. Now, this is worded very intentionally. I just want you to know. You must live in a visible reality. You are here today because you must live in a visible reality. You cannot disappear, literally. You have to exist in the world as we know it. That goes without saying. You have to live in it, which means that it surrounds you, and there you are, right in the middle of it. And it is visible. You can't just close your eyes and say, well, if I can't see it, then it doesn't exist. You can't do that. You must live in a visible reality. That means, yes, it's real. What you experience is real. I don't know if you've ever felt the freedom to be real in a body of Christ, in a church, but as far as I can help it, I want to give you permission to be able to just be real. This is, this is real stuff. We, we live in a visible reality. I want us to kind of look at these verses uh, as we look at the different uh, breakdowns here. Look with me again, verses 1 and 2. So maybe under the little guy, all right? Under the little guy in that first little box, just put, put just a 1-2, verses 1 and 2. This will be a reminder for you as you go back this week and you, you kind of recap what we talked about. Look at, look at what the psalmist says. Lord, how my foes increase. He's in the minority, and it's shrinking. Uh, it, it's almost as if there's a mob mentality growing around him. I mean, you can picture this. You picture those movies where you've seen the people bring the torches and all their swords, and here they come, and they're going to storm the castle, so to speak. And that's what you have, this snowball rolling down the hill, gaining steam and gaining width, and here it comes toward the psalmist, potentially toward King David himself. Maybe he's always known that these enemies have been there, but now they're getting organized. Now they've got a plan. 
Now they're going to gang up on him. And not only are there a bunch of them, but they're multiplying. Maybe you've felt that way. I knew those problems existed before, but now they all lined up. Now they all linked arms against me. And not only are there a bunch of them, but they just keep seeming to add friends together. All these issues keep piling up and piling up. And the psalmist here paints the picture that his foes are increasing and he is decreasing and getting into a really narrow space like you've painted yourself into a corner and there's no way out. It sort of has the idea of, of being in a narrow space. I talked about fears earlier. Some of you are claustrophobic. You cannot stand to be in an enclosed space. And you like your own personal space. If somebody gets close to you, you're going to try to spread out just a little bit and get a little space, or you back up just a tad. You get an idea of what the psalmist is going through as things start to close in and constrict around him. Sort of like, if you get the mental picture, what a boa constrictor does to its prey. Wraps it up, and every time a breath is taken, it squeezes just a little more. Extremely patient, but purposeful. And eventually, the life is, is literally crushed from the victim. And that's what you have here happening. How my foes increased. You sense his panic. As he sees no way out of what he's dealing with, though he looks around everywhere. How my foes increase. Many. There are many, he says, who attack me. Not only is the opposition multiplying, but, but they're active. Uh, they're unified. They're numerous, and they are malicious. Everywhere he looks, he sees just destruction and things flying at him. One, one of my favorite movies, and maybe you've seen it, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't. One of my favorite movies that I can't watch very often because it's hard to watch is Saving Private Ryan. Some of you have seen that movie. It's a movie about World War II, particularly about D-Day. And the opening scene of that movie is these guys leave their ships and they ride up on what are called Higgins boats, which have the door that flops down in the front, and they rush out onto the beaches of Normandy. And all around them is destruction. I mean, they, they, Steven Spielberg did such a wonderful job with, with that particular scene. To paint it as close as we who were not there can imagine what it was like. And you see and hear the bullets come flying and the men falling left and right, and, and all around them is destruction. And there's one particular scene where there's a man, and not to be too graphic, but he's lost a limb, and he's looking for it. And the way that the director slows the movie down, you can still hear everything kind of muffled in the background, but you've got this one guy who seemingly in the midst of the battle is just looking around, and eventually he finds his arm. He just picks it up. And he has no idea what to do. How my foes increase. There are many who attack me. It's as if I'm in the middle of the battle and I don't know what to do. I have no idea which way to turn. It never seems to end. You get this idea. He says in verse 2, Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Not only is he surrounded by vicious opponents and issues that are attacking him, but they're also skeptical that God can or will do anything about it. There's no hope, they say. God doesn't care about you. He's abandoned you. You are on your own. You served him all these years, and look what you got. Even if he is there, they say, even if he's paying attention at all, he, he doesn't care. 
And even he can't help you now. Maybe you've been there. And the issues of your life have come in such a way that maybe there's not a, a heckler in your crowd. But maybe Satan himself just whispers those lies into your mind and says, God has abandoned you. He doesn't care about you. You've served him all this time and this is what you get? You think God really cares? If God really cared about you, would that have happened? If God's so good, do you think that would have taken place? I told you it's okay to be real. You can admit that those things have come into your mind. They've come into mine. I've had those same scenarios. Saving Private Ryan goes on, and the mission, of course, is given to this small company of men that that they are going to, uh, to bring back a soldier whose three brothers have already died in battle. And so the whole movie is based upon this premise, saving Private Ryan. Private Ryan is the one they have to go and save and bring back. Well, they get to one particular village, and, and they meet up with some other guys, and there's, uh, there, there's a, it's kind of a weird uh, array of people. You have a sniper in one, in one tower, you have a family in another, and then there's one guy on a bullhorn, and he's shouting things about America that he uh, you know, obviously doesn't appreciate America very much. And in one particular uh, uh, sentence, he says, the Statue of Liberty is kaput. It's just great. And Tom Hanks, who plays the lead role, he says, the Statue of Liberty is kaput. That's, that's pretty discouraging. He said, yeah, this guy is calling out to American soldiers fighting probably on his behalf, the Statue of Liberty is kaput. It's like that in life where you have these people who will say or these things that will come into your mind to say God is kaput. He doesn't care. He's not there anymore. He's abandoned you. He's not worried about you. He doesn't, doesn't even know what you're going through. The psalmist here can relate. He's in a very precarious situation. He's surrounded by people and issues. The people around him are disloyal. They're foolish. They're very hurtful to him, and they want to see him destroyed. Now, I don't know who is in your life, but I guarantee you, you probably have someone who is disloyal, someone who is hurtful, someone who just wants to see some rotten things happen to you. And yes, those people do exist. You also probably have people or situations that are trying to shake your confidence in God. The psalmist here records, they say, there is no help for him. In God. The psalmist, maybe if it's David, is dealing with some grief, danger, a great deal of hurt and attack from those that, that he had a reason to expect better things from. His loyal subjects were no longer loyal. His son is the one leading the charge. His, uh, his people that he'd been so good to are now rising up against him. You realize that our troubles are an awful lot like what David may have been going through. If it's true, this heading, is if it's about him, then his family is being torn apart, which is tearing his heart out. He's dealing with these family issues. Everything that he's worked for is being threatened. Maybe for you, it's a sickness that you're enduring. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe because of what you're facing, your faith is being challenged, and you're not even sure if you believe what you say you've believed for a long time. Maybe you're dealing with a rebellious child. Maybe you have physical or mental or emotional or some social issues that are just attacking you. Or maybe spiritually you're just dry and you feel as if you're not going to get out of it. The, the psalmist 
desires most some room to breathe here. A little space, a little separation from his issues. But no matter what he does, he can't escape. My foes increase, they attack me, they say things about me. Here's what I I want you to do in the top half of that little part of your bulletin. You you see the guy there. I, I want you to picture that that's you. Now that's an awful rendition of you, I know. You're so much better looking than that guy. He doesn't even have a face, okay? But here's what I'd like for you to do, and I mean this. I, I want you to draw what your, your visible reality is like, a facial expression. You don't have, I'm not going to ask you to bring them up here, all right? You don't have to do show and tell. What is your facial expression? If you draw what is your visible reality, what does it look like right now? Not here in church. I'm not talking about the smile you paint on your face because you're walking in and everybody's a Christian there and i got to act like it. I'm talking about really, what's your visible reality? The way you see it. And maybe you would just draw some things that are kind of closing in, little arrows coming in, and here it is. This issue, that person, this particular physical ailment that I'm dealing with, this is what is closing in on me. Take the time. I'll pause for just a second. You're going to at least have to act like you're doing something, all right? How about that? Seriously. What does it look like for you? If you draw on that top box, because I must live in a visible reality, here's what it is. This is my visible reality. My facial expression, the things that are going on around me. What would it be? I'm sure there are things that readily come to mind, and I would hope, I really do hope that you'll take some time to let this scripture sink in this week. Maybe you'd come back to this particular bulletin and you just say, you know what, for nothing but maybe for therapeutic sake, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw something on here. Because I must live in a visible reality, it is real, and here's what's happening to me. The second part. Because I must live in a visible reality, I must live according to to an invisible reality. Worded very intentionally, just so you know. Because I must live in a visible reality, I must live according to an invisible reality. Again, you must, because of the way that life is, because you are forced to live in a visible reality, you cannot escape it. As a result of that, you must live now according, which is different than living in, according to an invisible reality. Let's look at it uh, in verse 3. So he says, My foes have increased, all people attacking me. I don't know what to do. They say God is not going to help me, but you, Lord. What a powerful... We could stop right there. Now, I won't, but we could... we got more pictures to draw. We could stop right there, and it would change your world this week. Everything going on around him. And he says, but you, Lord. There is an immediate recognition of how God is so different from many who oppose him. So different. Though we can't see God, he is more real than what our visible reality would show us. But you, Lord, he says. So he's going now to place himself... 
not under the attack of his oppressors, but under the protection of the Lord. Look what he says. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. That, that, that idea of being around me is, is a, a sense of completeness, a really large shield, big enough to protect the whole body in battle from swords and arrows and anything that comes flying. That's what it is, a huge shield. The shield, of course, was the primary defense weapon during this time. Now, we, we, we have to watch movies to get an idea of what this is like, but you've seen enough of that kind of stuff to know they carry a shield as the primary defense weapon, and having the right shield in battle meant the difference between life and death. So if you think about it, What's your shield in life? What is it? Is it denial? <laughs> no, this really isn't happening. I, I'm just going to pretend as if this is not going on, and maybe somehow that will shield me from the visible reality in which I must live. Some of us try that. It doesn't work, does it? You say, I, I, I don't know. I'm not listening. I'm not, I'm not paying attention. You can try to deny it. You, you can try maybe to regress, and some of us do this. We act as if uh, we, we now are not as mature, maybe, or know as much as we do. We, we regress to a, a previous stage of life, and as a result, we act out. I see this all the time, adults even, who will act out when things start happening because we don't know what else to do. Or maybe some of you repress it. You hold it in. You're the stoic. And you figure somehow, and this probably is particularly true of many of the men here, you figure that somehow, if I just hold it in long enough, and I'll be able to handle it, and no one else will have to deal with it, it'll just be me, and, and it'll just go away, and that's how I need to handle things, is with a stoic look and a stoic sense of, of, of behavior and so on, and maybe you try to hold it in. I would venture to say that if I'm talking in particular to fellas, and I understand that mentality, that we have, if it's true that many of our men are doing that, we have some men who are absolutely torn up on the inside. Now, I say that because I understand and I know what it's like to repress that stuff. We have some men today who are absolutely going crazy inside, feeling as if the world is closing in and you are physically affected by it, though you tell no one. You are mentally and, and psychologically affected, but you tell no one. you're using that repression as some shield. Or maybe you're the person who's going to figure out a plan or a scheme to get out of what's going on. That's your shield. Well, I'll just figure it out. I'm smart enough. Surely to goodness I can figure this out. I graduated from college for crying out loud. If I can do that, I can do this. We, we use a variety of things uh, as shields, and yet the psalmist says, You, Lord, are my shield around me. I want your protection. I want you to be the one I hide behind. There are people in situations who plan to do you harm, but God, the psalmist says, is a protective barrier that surrounds you. Last night, we had a, a baseball game. Hank was playing, and uh, we, were, we were playing a, a team from out of town, and Hank is a catcher. Now, you can picture, if you know Hank as a catcher, he, that's his position. He loves it. He's good at it. That's all he wants to do. And so he gets all of his gear on, miniature gear, and uh, he gets all of his catcher's gear on. And last night, in the game, we're playing a team that is older than us. And so they're pretty big. And Hank, of course, is not nearly as big as them. But here he is catching, and a ball comes toward the plate, and here comes a runner, and they throw the ball into Hank. 
And Hank stands and he catches it, and the runner runs right over top of it. In, in a vicious, vicious way. Coming at him like this, like he's trying to take him out. Hank winds up on the ground, of course. The runner is called out, and he's, he's shaken, obviously. He's visibly upset, and so I go to him, and we talk and all that stuff. But I tell you what, Hank walked away. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, my goodness, that, that wasn't what I'd choose. But he walked away with really no more than a little scratch on his arm from where he hit the ground. Do you know why? Not because of how big he is. Not because of how tough he is. Not because of how strong he is, but because what he had protected. He had a mask, a chest protector, shin guards. He was protected when the attack came. Some of us here stand unexposed before the attacks of life because we do not have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and we do not stand with His protection guarding us. Had Hank not had all that stuff on and that young man run into him, he likely would have been hurt pretty seriously without that protection. The psalmist here says, Lord, You are my shield. God, if I may say it, You are my catcher's gear. It protects me when the, the guy comes in to run me over. When life threatens to knock me down, Lord, you are my shield. He says, you're my glory. That's about honor and reputation and dignity and respect. He's losing all of this stuff. You realize if this is truly about David, he's losing all of his honor, all of his dignity, all of his respect. And he says, you, you are my honor. When I've lost all, Lord, you still are the one I'll hope in. You are the one who lifts my head. To do that would be to restore courage, to restore confidence, to restore hope. It's a contrast of this picture earlier where he's dejected and he doesn't know what to do. So he places his confidence in the Lord. And he gains approval from God. There's a, a picture on your bulletin. Far left-hand side of the second box. Another little guy just standing there. Same picture as before. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw the shield. Make your own shield on this little person. Maybe it's catcher's gear and you want to draw a mask there and a chest protector and shin guards. Or maybe you just want to come up with your own shield. But let me. I want you to see the picture. I told you, write down your visible reality. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to draw the invisible reality. I want to make it real this morning because it is and if we're going to live in this visible reality, we've got to live according to an invisible reality. Bring it into real life. Draw it on there. You can draw it however you want. You make it funny if you'd like to. But you draw the shield that is in front of you. And let me tell you this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you may not see it because you have an invisible reality. But that shield is there. And it protects you. The Bible says nothing can take you out of the hand of God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have a shield of protection. Yes, life is still going to happen. And yes, there will be times when it still hurts. I'm not here to promise you things that aren't true. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. And based upon that truth, we move into verse 4 when he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. He doesn't stop to formulate a plan. I think it's too often that our plans come before our prayers. We're going to figure it out before we stop and we talk to God about it. 
He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. He directs his prayer directly to God, not to any other being. I don't take for granted in this room that we have people who are not somehow praying to something or someone else for help or counting on a, a, a wishing star or, or somehow looking for guidance and maybe in those we believe have gone on before us who can still guide us today. I want you to know, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. There is one legitimate receiver of our prayers, and it is God himself. You can and must and should and, and can only truly pray to God himself. I cry out to the Lord, he says. His troubles always brought him to his knees in prayer. Always confident. God is ready to answer his prayer. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me. He sends help. To answer means to send help. He has confidence, not because he knows the future. Not because he's so strong, but because he knows the Lord. Something happens to our perspective when we take our our issues to the Lord. Something happens to them. We become now living according to an invisible reality rather than just in a visible reality. You see the next little picture? That's somebody praying. Isn't it great? Just humor me. It's okay. Relax. All right. That's somebody praying. Now listen, here's what, here's, here's what I want you to do. Maybe you draw some eyes and a little nose. and, and It would be a profile now, all right? He's, he's not looking at us. All right? So you've got to get good with your art. And maybe you draw just a little thought bubble, a little speech thing, and, and you would spend some time either right now or this week expressing whatever prayer it is that you need to cry aloud to the Lord. I cry aloud to the Lord and He answers me from His holy mountain. There you are right there on your knees before the Lord. What does your prayer need to be? Verse 5, I lie down and sleep. I won't ask you how many of you struggle with sleeping. Because if the studies are correct, there's quite a few people in here who have a lot of sleepless nights. A lot of things keep you up. Maybe it's pain in your body. Maybe it's the anguish in your mind. Maybe it's things that just sort of pop into your mind in the middle of the night and they, they begin to scare you and you get anxious and you don't know what to do. What's interesting, isn't it great? The psalmist says, I cry aloud to the Lord. And what's the next thing he does? He goes to sleep. Are you kidding? Do you see the invisible reality? And if you live according to that, what happens, what God does, his situation hasn't changed. Nothing is different. If this is David, Absalom is still coming with his 200 men. But he goes to sleep. There's a a quietness and and a calmness in his spirit in the midst of what he's facing. This isn't a denial of reality. He knows what's going on. And everything that he faced could have robbed him of sleep and made his life full of anxiety and depression. But he never, it seems, loses any sleep over it because he knew the Lord's goodness and faithfulness, and that overwhelmed him. He trusts in the Lord. He lives according to this invisible reality that only God can bring. And he sleeps securely all night long. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to bring into your visible reality the invisible reality that trumps it all? It's possible 
through Jesus Christ. He says, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. God is the one, even when I sleep, who gets me through the night and wakes me up the next morning. This is almost eerie. You think, this guy has lost it, really. Doesn't he know what's happening? Doesn't he know what's going on? What he's done, though, is not have a denial of reality, but he's just reminded himself of who God is. He's reminded himself of the love and the faithfulness of the Lord, and so now his fear is diminished, even though his situation has not changed. Now, that next picture is not a dead person. It's you, sleeping. So maybe you'd you know, draw that just a little bit, put some Z's there. I really do. Now, you think I'm joking at this point, but I want you to begin to see the invisible reality affecting your visible reality in such a way that even this picture, as far off as that may seem to you, to sleep soundly, now as you trust the Lord, it becomes more of a visible reality for you. This is what I do because I trust the Lord. You say, that's crazy. No, it's not. It's in the Scripture. He trusted God, and so he slept better. I'm not giving you a how-to guide on how to sleep better, but let me tell you, when you trust the Lord and He begins to trump your visible reality and your anxiety begins to be covered by His shield, it brings a new physical and visible reality. You may, in fact, sleep better. There you go. Draw yourself sleeping. And then verse 6. I am not afraid, though thousands. One version says 10,000. The number here is not going to be exact. He's just saying that's a lot. There's a lot of people lining up against me, but he is unshaken. He's unafraid, despite all these calculated efforts by his enemies. He recognized God's protection, God's good intent toward him. And he says, I am not afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. And then he turns his attention back to the Lord. He says, rise up. Realize in verses 1 and 2, who's rising up? His enemies. Now, who does he call on to rise up? He calls on the Lord himself. God, intervene, do battle on my behalf. Save me, my God, he says. Help me, deliver me. The skeptics has already said there's no help, there's no deliverance, there's no salvation for him. He says, you know what, God? You just go ahead and prove all of them wrong. Rise up, save me, strike my enemies on the cheek. These enemies are presented as fierce and wild beasts almost, ready to devour. Striking someone on the jaw, this, this little phrase would be a public disgrace. God come in and knock this guy out and let everybody see it. That's basically what he's saying. Strike my enemies on the cheek, lower their heads while mine, Lord, is raised. Here comes God like a champion boxer and he comes out of the corner swinging. He's just, he's throwing haymakers. God, that's what I want you to do in this situation. He says, strike my enemies on the cheek. Break the teeth of the wicked, he says. The teeth that he's referring to of a wild animal would symbolize the power that that animal or that people would have, a conquering and unstoppable power. And so to break the teeth would symbolize a defeat. You think about it, for a lion to have its teeth broken or teeth removed is a mortal wound. It cannot survive. It has no power. If it's carrying anything, it has to drop it. It cannot attack anymore. The strength is taken away. You ever seen uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that old show from whenever it was? That, you know, it's on every Christmas time. You remember what happens? You know, you, you, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you, all right? 
And if you have, if you have seen it, you'll probably go, why? It'd be Christmas in July. You'll go watch it today. But, but, but they set out on this mission to get away, <laughs> and Rudolph is with them. And you know who they're most afraid of? Who is it? The abominable snowman, the snow monster of the north, whatever he's called. And, and here he comes, you know, he's just so mean. And you know what they, they focus on so much in that show? What do they focus on? His teeth. But you know what? They've got Hermie, who is the dentist. Little Hermie, the elf. And so eventually they knock out the abominable snowman. What do they remove? His teeth. And what, what is he like later? He's just as peaceful and nice. He puts the star on the top of the tree. Look what he can do. You remove the teeth from the enemy, and they have no effect on you anymore. That's what the psalmist is praying. Lord, take out the teeth of the abominable in my life. All of them, take them all out, because then he has no power over me anymore. Break the teeth of the wicked. And then he says in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. This section, verses 5 through 8, essentially is the section of joy and peace in this particular psalm. He's faced the battle, he's turned to the Lord, and now he experiences confidence in the face of the worst that could possibly happen. He trusts the Lord and His intervention. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not to me, not to my schemes, but to the Lord Himself. Our true victory. Our true life comes as we live according to the, the invisible reality that God has brought to us. It's amplified and it's fulfilled completely in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Paul would write to our greatest enemy, Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? And he says, Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even our greatest enemy, death itself, has no power over us. Its teeth have been removed because Jesus has died and was raised again. And if you've received salvation from Him by His grace, through faith in Him alone, your greatest enemy has no teeth. You are hidden behind the shield of God. And you experience the salvation and blessing that comes from the Lord. The last picture there is you. Arms held high in victory. You draw it. You put yourself, put your new face on that particular stick man. Not necessarily because you feel it yet or are experiencing it even yet. But because that is your invisible reality. That victory has come. It's already done. It's already won through Jesus Christ. And that is you. Victorious. Because you hide behind the shield of God. Because He has trumped your visible reality. Because He has answered your prayer. Because He has given you rest. And because salvation belongs to the Lord. That's you. Whether you believe it or not, it's you. Because I must live in a visible reality, I must live according to an invisible reality. So let me ask you this in closing. Which reality do you live according to? You're going to live according to your visible reality or according to the invisible reality that only God brings. And it will shape, don't miss this, it will shape everything about you. Your view of life, your marriage, your family, 
your job, your health, everything about you is shaped by which reality you live according to. If all you live is according to the visible reality, your life will be miserable. Or you will, the Bible says, forfeit your soul and gain nothing because you've been just about this life. But if you live according to the invisible reality, the truth of Jesus Christ, salvation by His grace, grace through faith, then your life will be what this psalm describes. Yes, there are attacks, but I call to the Lord, and I've received salvation from Him. When attacks come, remember what God has done in the past. Even at the moment of your salvation, He answered your prayer. I hope that when life throws things at you and it gets difficult to remember what God has done, that you'll get around people who can affirm and and encourage you in the things that God has done for them and for you. And I hope that this week that you'll be inspired to either start or to keep reading and memorizing the Scripture because it's during times of attack when you need the reminder that God is still faithful, that He's still in control. Verse 8 there says, May your blessing be on your people. Not only you as an individual, but we as a church. We must live according to an invisible reality. Which means that we we must be concerned about those who live only according to a visible reality. We as a church must do, absolutely must do, according to what Jesus told us, anything and everything we can and must to reach those who are not living according to this invisible reality of salvation in Jesus Christ. So it's for us as individuals, and it's for us as a church. I pray that you'll see, yes, I must continue. I'll walk out of those doors and still live in a visible reality. But from this moment forward, not on my own strength, but because God is my shield and my deliverance, I will now live according to an invisible reality. Let's pray together. Lord, make those things true in our lives to the point where we now live according to an invisible reality. God, we thank you that you are our shield, our glory, the one who lifts up our heads. I pray for those, Lord, who are so bound up by their visible realities that today would be the day they're set free. They begin to live according to what they cannot see, but what is more true than what they can see. Make it so, Lord, in our lives. We thank you for the ultimate reality that is Jesus Christ. We thank you for his salvation, for his death and resurrection. We thank you. In his name we pray.